0: little clap clap (laughs) and we're ready to go um hey y'all welcome to the holding space there's a lot of people in the holding space today um and i will let them introduce themselves in whatever order they feel like doing so so how would you if no one knew you listening how would you want them to be introduced to you
1: hi everyone i'm olivia my pronouns are she her hers i'm an actor singer writer Occasional academic. Hi, everyone. My name is
2: Freddie. Uh, My pronouns are she they and I'm a multimedia artist Hi,
3: my name is Faith. She her hers. I'm from the Bronx, New York And I am a student and an overall performance artist. I mostly do acting, but I also love to sing and dance
0: And then there's me who's here as your host. Welcome! Today we are gathering uh, all in this Zoom call to talk about uh, identity and intersection and specifically where those two things lie in our lives, in the world around us, and everything in between. So when you do a quick Google search uh, about the word intersectionality, it gives you this definition. intersectionality is an analytical framework for understanding how aspects of a person's social and political identities combine to create different modes of discrimination and privilege. Um, it has been coined by professor and feminist Kimberly Crunshaw, I think in the 80s, in the late 80s. It is an older word than most people think it is. Like, it definitely isn't as new. It's just like hitting its traction in the l- later years. Um but yeah, just so that there's a clear definition here that we're all working with, the listeners and us included, uh, and uh, there's no assumption that you need to know what that meant. Oh, let's talk about how we know each other, y'all. How do we know each other? What's our connection?
1: We know each other from this performance ensemble, I yes, yes, uh, called LUNA, um, which is uh, part of the organization, the People's Theater Project. And they have like a yearly Luna Ensemble. And we are 2021 Spring Luna Ensemble. We don't have a name for our performance yet, though.
0: Yeah, that is still TBD <laughs> because it is divisive work. Uh, and it ties into, it's a relevant connection too, because it ties into this bigger I- identity uh, intersectional thing. Uh, because we're currently devising a show about uh, about race. It's And so, and there's a group of people that we are, A small portion of that uh, come from different intersections as well and that is all in this pot of jumbo that we are creating and fully in production or in uh, rehearsals for so I'm really excited to see what that even looks like I don't even think we know yet um, but soon to come uh, and there'll be more information about that at the end but I just thought that was such a relevant connection um, to bring up but does anyone want to speak to where they're at with this topic just like super broadly a general overview of what you're coming into this uh with what are your intersections perhaps maybe what are your thoughts right now with what what you're grappling with in this larger theme
1: um for me i think it's funny like learning what intersectionality was i believe i learned it in college um which is feels late but i don't know um hey you know how the education system is Like learning what intersectionality was was very eye opening for me because I think that specifically in, uh, let's say, people of color spaces—if that—if that that even is a a a broad term—where especially where there's LGBTQ folks and and women, we're always fighting for our own piece of the pie, and I think. I think having the language to describe where we're all coming from as individuals and then how we all fit into this larger narrative of society and and the way the higher hierarchies are structured and where interlocking oppression um, comes from. So I I just think I'm really grateful to be in an era where people are are embracing differences in a real way, as opposed to being like, I don't see your differences. (laughs) Mm. That's not true. Because society sees my differences and treats me accordingly. I'm a, black biracial woman i come from a sort of working class middle class um background both of my parents are immigrants um so it's a bit a lot of like my entire journey over 23 years has been sort of one of discovery and rediscovery and rewriting and and read you know going back to the drawing board many times because you know the world's kind of confusing (laughs) but um Yeah, so that's something that I can intersectionality is just um it's been something I've been thinking about a lot
2: lately. It's I feel a lot of the time I just feel this pressure um to label all of these things that I am, and sometimes it's just like a lot to keep track of. Honestly, like okay, like I am black, um, I'm biracial, but I'm also Hispanic, Um, and um, I'm queer, a woman, but I also identify as non-binary. there's just like a lot of things I'm also an artist in like many different forms um so I feel like in every aspect of my identity I'm not just one thing and I can't like be confined to this one thing um or this one label or this one word even um so I think that's something I've been thinking about a lot and that's kind of where I'm coming from um with this yeah
0: I don't know how you would find this podcast if you don't know who I am, because that's pretty much my demographic, <laughs> but if for some reason you don't know who I am, um, I, <laughs> I am a Black Puerto Rican, I am queer, uh, so is my gender, so like just queer all around, here we are, um, and uh, yeah, and I also come from you know a long, low-income family here in the Bronx as well, so that is when Faith was talking about that, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am so proud. And it's like, I have weird feelings about like people who like heavily identify with their wherever they come from, except for when it's like because there's like this level of like coming from somewhere that's like heavily oppressed that you're like, I this is like a part of what I'm fighting it, like for. Like, cause so much of, sorry, tangent, but so much of like the classism and racism that goes into like the literal like infrastructure of the city and let alone the outer boroughs. It's so crazy. So that is also a part of my like intersection of fights, but um, yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad to be here with y'all. Thank you for, for being here and, and agreeing to do this. You'll hear it again, but I just, I wanted to genuinely have this moment right now, but now that I've brought up the whole like discriminated against, Uh, community and then identifying with that. I wanna talk about how identity and like oppression are often conflated as the same thing. Like you can't talk about one without the other. And while that might be true when talking about oppression, I think we can talk about identity and celebrate it without it necessarily meaning that I'm celebrating the fact that I'm oppressed or discriminated against in society. And the reason why I bring this up is because I had a fun little um, interaction in a clubhouse room where they told us to introduce ourselves. And I was like, well, usually when I introduce myself in a space, I talk about my identity and like all the things that I am and how proud I am to be all those things. And so I, you know, listed the same things I listed earlier in this episode and said, when I go into a room, I know what I'm bringing. I know who I am and I know all of me um, in every situation. Mm -hmm. And this lovely, well-meaning beautifully spoken uh white man <laughs> he said <laughs> he said to me well I know as a cis white man maybe I don't have the space to say this and it should have been the end of the sentence it mm-hmm. should have been where that sentence ended and but it didn't friends do you think it ended I don't think so So what happened after was he said, but I don't walk into, I think that's a lot of pressure you're putting onto yourself. You shouldn't walk into every room thinking about that. I'm Jewish, but I don't walk into every room thinking about the Holocaust. When did I say I walk into every room thinking about slavery and discrimination and stonewall? Like I literally said, I think about all of these things that I think make me a beautiful like combination of, many things and you took it and said that I walk into the room thinking about my oppression, which is not the same thing
1: embarrassing
0: at all this is not about this one particular man it's about this often conflated um these two things that are often like seen as interchangeable so does anyone want to anything do you want to say about that an experience something about your thoughts about how that ends up happening
1: i feel like that's huge sorry freddie but i feel like that's huge uh a huge huge thing. i'm glad we're talking about it because i've been thinking recently about how I, f- I feel like especially black folks of the diaspora our stories are linked to trauma our stories our stories are linked to suffering and when we talk about black history when we talk about um black experiences and identities and stuff it's so deeply interwoven with conversations of um, oppression and that's really what people expect so you're like oh Mm. it's black history month what are we talking about once again we're going back to talking about how our leaders are assassinated once again we're talking about uh the pillaging and uh, assault of our women and it's just it's very important to talk about but i've seen a lot of a lot of people specifically um black identifying folks being like i am tired of seeing all movies about the same things over and over again. And like, that's the way that we win Oscars, right? So Lupita Nyong'o wouldn't have won an Oscar if she wasn't in uh, 12 Years a Slave, portraying a slave, right? Um, But like, how about we move away from those stories and talk about um, other things, other ways of being. And I think that also is very intricately linked with um, LGBTQ plus folks as well. Like name a movie where LGBTQ plus people do not die
0: yep bury your suffer. gaze trope is very <laughs> yes, real yes
1: yeah they're left single and yeah the whole thing so we exist already as yeah. we
0: are our oppression our trauma our scars from discrimination are not all encompassing in our identity that's not all our identity is there's so many other sides and facets
3: i feel like First of all, when people say it's not my place, that's when they should just stop talking. That's the first problem. That's um, exactly
2: what I was going to say. My bad. You reminded me
3: that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like, why continue? Um, but I think also, like, oppression has shaped identity. Oppression mm-hmm. will continue to shape identity is mm-hmm. oppression equal to identity no and for dude to assume that you're bringing up oppression when you're bringing up your identity is and criticize you on that is to erase the oppression so i just don't understand especially coming from a white man like
0: yeah. it doesn't exist
1: yeah. too
0: he was, he okay. was. And very much like, you shouldn't feel oppressed. Let me, uh, let me microaggress you and your tone. <laughs> it's like, I, wow. that, the, uh, yeah, a lot of the times people can't see past oppression or discrimination, like, especially when they're coming from a place uh, where you identify as something that they don't. Um, because like Olivia said earlier, like, I've had, you know, people of color who don't identify as queer of any sort or LGBTQ of any sort, like, kind of treat me like my sexuality or my gender or just, like, it's either the only thing about me, which is, like, mm. crazy coming from another person of color, or, like, that, that the hardships define, like, who I am as a whole, and I'm, like, I Like in those moments, it kind of dumbfounds me when it comes from people who either look like you or identify with you in other ways, because it's kind of, I guess that's the whole point of intersectionality, right? It's like there there are very specific ways in which they come up, um, and it can be from one or more communities that you even have a foot in, and that gets really complicated. So I kind of, I mean, this is a perfect way to shift gears into talking about Compounded oppression and like how that is different than like feeling that there are one or more things working against you, right? Like, sexism and racism don't just both work against Black women or Latinx women, et cetera. Those two things combine into right. a different form of discrimination that is solely experienced by that person who exists in those intersections and so I think a lot of times people are like oh I totally get what you're going through because as this other group that's marginalized and I'm like oh maybe not totally get maybe like I can relate to you on this one thing but maybe not totally get um because it is a whole different beast um have you ever been in an experience that like some people really can't understand that it's a different type of discrimination
2: I have experienced this uh, many times. Um, I feel like that's, it's just something that happens very often. Um, Being mixed or being biracial, um, it happens within my own family, um, which is like a whole nother thing to talk about. But um, yeah, like there's there's times when like, I'll try to open up with my dad who is white um, about my oppression or things I've been through and he also loves me because he's my dad but um and and he tries to relate to me in 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 a way um when I share these stories like he'll be like oh yeah because I'm the only boy in my family or like (laughs) because you know I was the only nice kid in my high school like and it's like okay like I get like that you want to understand, but, like, you really just can't, like, relate in the way that m- is meaningful or is, like, actually, um, you know, it's not the same. It's just not the same. So um, when it comes from people like that that I care about, um, it's honestly sometimes just a little harder to deal with even just because yeah. I can't, um, I can't, like, tell them off like I would somebody in the street. Um mm or I can't just, like, you know, walk away from it and not have to see them ever again, um, so, yeah, um, but the, there's also the other instances where, like, I'm in school, and, like, there's this, one, <laughs> there was this one time where, um, I don't know, they were just trying to, like, it, like, in a class, it was in my art class, um, and we were trying to, uh, we had like this diversity conversation for some reason because it's art class and you gotta do it in that class i don't know there's this black girl speaking on how just like she's oppressed and then there was this other girl that started talking oh, right no. after her saying that like she was like oh i completely understand because my great great grandmother you know she was native american and You know like so i feel that like oppression Mm. and stuff like that and mind you she's a white girl like that's like her great 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 grandma is like the only like connection she has to any type of minority and so it's like those like inputs from white people especially or just people who don't identify as the same things that i do or somebody else does they want to just connect to people in a way where they don't feel like other people's oppression is their fault, um, because mm-hmm. you know white people don't like feeling guilty. They don't like feeling guilty about it. They'll avoid it in every every single way. Um, so I think that's just where it comes from. But it just isn't helpful, and it's mo- and it's just more oppressive than it is helpful in any way at all.
3: Yeah, I feel like what you said about like needing to be connected and like to relate to an experience, like, I'm sorry, if you don't relate, just listen. Like, it's not hard to just listen. It's not hard to just internalize. It's not hard to just learn. And like, everyone has blind spots. Everyone has blind spots. Mm -hmm. So you can't assume that you're gonna be able to connect to every single experience out there. So you should just listen and learn. And I feel like that's something important that people need to kind of realize because they might be well-meaning and they might want to like, feel your pain or like be with you and be an ally, but a good ally is someone who listens. A good ally is someone who knows when to step back and when to let other people step forward. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sometimes like it's well-meaning, but people just kind of have to step outside of themselves. And I feel like that's kind of what I've learned, like, even though sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm the only Black girl in the room, what blah Like some, in some spaces, I am the person who is not marginalized. Like, and that that Mm. point I need to step back and I need to Mm. take my seat and just listen and that's okay. And so, um, yeah, I've just been in a lot of situations where people are just like, yeah, I understand. And I'm just like, you don't, and it's okay. And I just think people need to know it's okay.
1: (laughs) It's okay. That's the whole thing. I also wanna, I I love all the points y'all just said. I just wanted to add on quickly, like, That we all, yeah, like what you were saying, Faith. That we all come from our own little bubbles. We all have our own biases that are already intrinsically inside us that we have to figure out and work through and unlearn. And like we all can do this to each other, even as we're all marginalized folks. Like you know, like what Maddie was saying earlier about, like not, you know, um, straight cis uh, black people sort of using their own actual that because that is there's a privilege in in not being lgbtq plus and like using that privilege to to like sort of talk talk over lgbtq plus black identifying people and you know, like we all do it to each other and colorism is also a big place where that happens where um you know people who are closer to the conventional european ideal of beauty or just stand the standards But it might still have their own level of oppression, right? Or their own intersection of of oppression or discrimination. They're just like, oh, I understand what you're saying. And we're we're all the same. And it's like, no, Mm. but we're not. Like, I can't relate to all of those things. And so that's where I have to step back. Like, just because I'm also, I also am Black identified does not mean I experience every single thing Mm. that comes from, that happens in our communities. So it's like, it's very, we all have our own place to, our own little lane.
0: Right. sometimes right. they
1: all interweave and sometimes, sometimes they exactly. perpendicular
0: right I, and it's okay <laughs> I, I absolutely I absolutely agree like I think there needs to be you know as much as there needs to be an acknowledgement of where your intersections kind of are discriminated against there's also an acknowledgement that needs to be where, where the parts of your identity where you are not marginalized you are privileged in in other ways and like I know that opens up the door for a lot of devil's advocates who love to be like see so you have privilege too and and that's a whole that we're not dealing with those people we're dealing with ourselves right now and what I mean is mm-hmm. like I know that there's I think in in recent years um I've learned about like uh so, like sort of where I fall short is when it comes to like accessibility uh Like that really, you know, I mean, I'm glad that we're in this age of social media where we're thinking a lot more about like closed captioning and alt text and all of those things. But that never occurred to me because it never affected me. And that doesn't make me a bad person. It would make me a bad person to be like, oh, I still don't care about that. That's a bad person. (laughs) That just means that like I have to acknowledge, oh, I have had the privilege to not think about these things and now I understand why they're important and now I get to step back when someone has something to say about those things that experiences uh that kind of uh marginalization like that's not for me to be like yes and but did you ever think about the other side of things and it's like they don't really have to that's their life you live a different one (laughs) we can have the same intersections on paper and have mm. way different experiences with mm. them and that's why you know we always get into arguments about like this this opinion versus this opinion with within like race or within like the lgbt community like a great example is we're recording this episode on international women's day yeah mm. you know the insane amount of like complexities of watching people like have very opposite views of what that means today like <gasps> It is, it is insane. And yet, like, these people are all, all these people that I'm talking about identify as women, but they have different opinions about what that means on a day like this. There isn't a singular voice, opinion, or experience of X person. There's no soul Black experience. There's no soul, like, queer experience. There's no soul, et cetera, et cetera, experience. And even in those intersections, if me and a person have similar intersections, that doesn't mean we've had experience the world in the same way. The world will treat us poorly in similar ways, but maybe not in all ways. And that might shape our identities and our opinions about those things later. This is more of a tangenty moment, but it kind of gets me to my thing of how do we uphold our worth with the treatment we're we're exposed to? Because I know, and I'm gonna say this wholeheartedly without apologies, I deserve the universe it is mine Mm. to have and I deserve everything I want is things that I should have not things that I should have to work harder to get Mm. that being said I also understand there are some realities of the situation here and it's not as easy as the things that I want just getting them um for economic purposes, for social purposes, etc. When it comes to romance, when it comes to jobs, I understand there are real world discriminatory things in place. However, I know I still deserve those things. Does that change racism or any other form of oppression out there? No, it's still out there and the world will still interact with me in those ways. Um, so in your own experiences, where are at now, how do you hold on to your worth, in contrast to poor treatment in the world.
3: I definitely struggle with that sometimes, but a lot of it is also like my own inner self critic. But the way that I kind of combat that is um, like being deliberate about who I surround myself with. So like, yes, I go to a school where there's only 6% Black people. But if you look at my friend group and you look at the places I go and you look at the clubs I'm in, it is a my little hbcu honestly and like we we say that like me and my friends say that and it's like a joke but it's so true like I, because I went to a PWI high school that was much, much smaller than college, obviously. And I didn't have that opportunity to be around so many black people. When I got to college, it was it was over. Like, I'm going to spend time with people who look like me. I'm gonna have conversations. And like the black community in and of itself and the diaspora is so wide, it's so like expansive. And so I've learned so much more about blackness than I ever could even imagine in high school. And so I feel like it's really who I'm spending my time with. And like, if I'm in a space that I don't feel comfortable in, I'm going to have to go. Like, yes, I go to class. Yes, I do this. But there's going to be boundaries. And I think definitely like even what I look at on social media, like even the people I follow, even like I just surround myself with people who uplift me and people who look like me. And yes, I get some pushback. Like my mom's like, oh, why don't you hang out with white people, blah, blah, blah. You sound like you hate them or something. And I'm like, no, I don't hate white people at all. Like I really do not. Mm -hmm. It's just that right now in my time right now, I just want to spend time with people who can relate to me in this experience because I didn't have that opportunity before. And um, I think it's just like And yes, I have white friends. I'm not saying I don't have white friends. I
0: I don't hate white people. I I have white friends. I have white friends.
3: No, no. Yes, exactly. But what I'm saying is that like, I definitely am going, I'm inside my Black Student Union. I am an events coordinator of my Black Student Union. I want to create these events. I want to be around people who look like me and serve my community. And that's okay. Okay, especially when I'm in a place where anywhere else I go, it's not gonna be like that. Anywhere else I go, I'm gonna be looked at as like the speaker of my race or whatever. But yes, I think it's definitely for me the way I combat it is surrounding myself with people who love me and who I don't have to explain myself to.
0: That's so important at a PWI because I I won't talk about where I went to school. I hated it, but my point is similar situation. So few black people like I mean, I mean, I could probably count the people I went to school with on both hands that I knew and and I knew most of them because we knew each other, you know, I see you, we see each other. Um, it was so few black people on our campus. And so it it was a complete mini bowl within the black community on that campus. And and my thing was so much about unity back then. I mean, not to get into a change, but I was very much like, wait, y'all, we can't fight each other. Who am I going to sit with when I'm in the calf? Like, we can't fight because then we have no friends. Like, I was very much that. I was very much like, let's keep the peace. I don't care how much you don't like this person. There's only a few of us here. Um, uh, but it was so important to, to have that because I like it, the, the campus, a PWI, especially in college when the stats are that off, we'll swallow you. We'll swallow Mm -hmm. you whole if you do not have a source of community um, and and people to reaffirm you and lift you up. And so I'm so glad you found the community. I just wanted to say that like.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. No, honestly, I I have a little tiny anecdote I would like to share, but it's not that important. I just was sick and tired in high school of explaining myself like literally freshman year of high school I also went from like a predominantly black and latinx in Harlem to a predominantly white and rich (laughs) high school um so like that transition in and of itself was just a mess but like people asked me how my hair grew when I got box braids people asked me what box braids were people were like like the one time I straightened my hair, the amount of compliments I got shru- shot through the roof. Like it was just like I kept feeling like I had to explain who I am to these people who are looking at me, and I'm just like, "Child, I'm just existing. Like <laughs> I'm just a person. <laughs> like can we get can we get over it?" Um, and like <laughs> other little microaggressions aside, it was just like when I'm in college. Look, I don't I don't need to be explaining myself. You I, got a
0: paper due. You have a paper due. Exactly. You
3: can't just. just exactly. I to already stuff. have to deal with all these classes. No, we're not doing it. Um. So,
1: like, I need y'all to understand. I don't need white friends. I don't need white. I don't need whiteness. Whiteness needs me. I, I don't need white society. I can't. I can't live without it because of the situations that were put on me and my ancestors. I didn't choose wow. to be here. So. It, wow. And it's also one of those things where I'm like. don't be offended if I can't talk to you anymore
0: yeah
1: wow you know what I mean and that's
0: that's a place I want to be at I think that literally
1: changed my life I was just gonna
2: go off what Olivia said just basically like I just went through that whole realization in 2020 just that like I literally don't need white people in my life there was this realization also not even just racially but also like just with my own boundaries um as a Mm -hmm. person and it was like I don't need to keep people in my life that don't serve me anymore just because mm-hmm. like it's okay, like I I had to like come to terms with like things being temporary like friendships can be temporary and relationships can be temporary and everything Oof. is temporary and like I can't I don't have to like hold on to something just because like oh my god we met in elementary school and we've been friends for so long like I don't have to hold on to that just because I feel mm. like I have that obligation to you it's just something that like I had to consciously just get rid of in my mind that like I don't owe anything to anybody, mm. just period. Um, that is
0: beautiful. Like, period. To know and actually, learn period. And internalize, and I'm still, honestly.
3: I'm still struggling <laughs> with that, but
0: well, <laughs> like, yeah, it is a struggle. It is a struggle, but I think I I can re- recall the f- the moment I I learned it. Like you know you can like when it enters your 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 mm-hmm. mind, you're like oh i get it mm-hmm. and then you have to apply it which is a whole other monster I mean, yeah, a whole right. other monster
2: <laughs> i really 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 liked uh what you said faith um just about um keeping yourself worth through keeping boundaries that's just mm-hmm. something that's really big and also creating your own space that is mm-hmm. huge like
0: creating your own holding space am i right
2: period.
0: <laughs> Wink sound <laughs>
2: Exactly, like just just being in control of your own reality, which is another thing. But um, yeah, what I wanted to say about how I keep myself self-worth through art, honestly, um, or through my creativity, or through my expression, because um, that's also something I've been thinking about a lot lately how does art play into it and is art part of it or is it like a separate thing that just like intertwines a little bit sometimes but mm. the paper beneath my pen doesn't have any expectations of me it doesn't have any preconceived judgments and it doesn't have any just like anything that you know people have <laughs> um art's important in so many ways but um I think it's uh, very much a vehicle to um express my own self-love and self-worth. People use or expect artists to use art as um, to express their pain. And it's a lot, it's expected from artists, but it's especially expected from um, artists of color, Black artists, Indigenous artists, and people who have that intersectionality of identities. Um, so like art is like almost exclusively used or like in the in society's eye it's exclusively used to express my oppression or my pain or my hardships Mm. or my struggle Um, and it's like I'm expected to you know create art about you know my mom being black or me being black or my mom being an immigrant or me being queer and it's like Mm. there's this pressure to label my art as queer art or black art so it's like there's all these pressures um, put onto my art, which are the exact same pressures that are put onto me, um, mm-hmm. which uh, yeah. is crazy because, like, yes, my art is me, but it's also not. <laughs> like, um, I don't have to. I don't have to use art as um, just like a vehicle to express my pain. I I think it's it's a lot of the time just focusing solely on that is harmful um I want to be able to create art that isn't black art or isn't queer art and can just be Freddie art like can it just be can I just create art that makes me happy that like it's supposed to be this thing that it's supposed to be this space that I create for myself that's good and healthy and just wonderful but um but then there's people who are like well why don't you talk about like you being who you are in your art. Why isn't your art, you know, about being Black or about being this or about being that? Like, why can't my right. art just be my art?
0: You're reading my mind, like, cause I was thinking about how we're all artists and, you know, we are devising, you know, this play about race specifically as this job that we're doing, right? Like this contract that, yeah. you know, we're all signing to do, right? However, like in my personal life, I, I'm, tr- I'm starting to want to create mostly because ironically of my identity. I feel like there's a lacking and so I want to create, but then I w- don't want to create always thinking about my positionality and always thinking <laughs> about where I like, how do I, how is this like a commentary on queerness? How is this commentary on my blackness? How is does the commentary on that intersection? It's like, I just, the whole thing is like, I just want to exist. And so I want to create stories where I just get to exist or the character just gets to exist and I get to perform that, Yeah. but everything you do is political everything every one of us does is inherently political but this like Mm -hmm. pressure to then make it political to then hone that politicalness and lean into a commentary about a larger issue we're like and and that gets rewarded right like we see this we talked about this earlier the stories that get rewarded are the ones where we see weak people suffering. suffering and so it's like a lot of times if we only see stories where queer people suffer where black people suffer we're just gonna think oh those are the only stories we can tell is about our suffering and it's like we get to be well rounded on and off of the stage the screen the canvas we get to be you know influenced by informed by the things that have shaped us but not that be the things that we are you know what i'm saying Totally. how does anyone else feel about like that intersection of like trying to create art without necessarily have it be defined solely by your identity. Or maybe you feel differently. That's also open for this.
1: It is really hard. Um, I was going to say, I think what what was interesting is um, creating art for yourself versus creating it for other people. And um, I think it's really, aside for, I guess, performance art is always, there's always an audience, right? That's kind of like the thing. When I write... (laughs) it's for myself first and I edit for myself and I think for myself and I decide whether or not it gets to be shared and like same thing with music and so I think like what I think Freddie was saying earlier about you were saying earlier about having that space like a safe space for you and you are just you and you're just a a person like living and creating and it's something free and not just mental because it's just a pen and a paper or whatever it might be and I think that it's really important for artists to have that relationship with themselves and their art as much as possible and that keeps us grounded and I, and I say that as someone who has also struggled with this in the first place like I'm like every time I, I think about releasing something or whatever I'm always like who's gonna see it and what are they gonna think and do I need to up this part more do I need to seem more black do I need to express something slightly more deep will people say I'm shallow if I'm not talking about this and 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 part of it for me well I, maybe most of it actually is literally because we live in a capitalist society. I'm on my I'm on my high horse. Um, just kidding. Uh, what do you call it? The soapbox. Um, we live in a capitalist society, so in order for anything to achieve success, it has to first be uh, marketable. Um, and so we're always competing with that. We're always competing with each other, and we're like, oh, we have to make this thing that other people want to see, and that is really the, the the kicker for. That's really what kills us as marginalized artists, like how hard it is for our art, even if it's not game-changing, radical art, how hard, how hard it is for it to reach mainstream success, like historically. So thinking about like, I don't know, y'all know the show Living Single? Yeah. It's from the 90s, yeah, yeah. It came up before know, Friends. It's, it's- and it's not, it's yeah. not
0: a, oh my it's not, a super, it's
1: not, it's kind of problematic in and of itself because it's the nineties, right? I'm but sure.
0: Yeah. All, all
1: 90s. They all were like inherently, but it came up before friends and it had its own little niche of success. Um, and the, the, uh, what do you call it? The producer of NBC was like, I want that, but white. And they did that and it became friends and it, it's just, I don't know it's just it's really we're always competing with each other and there's oh who gets talked over is always its own thing and like and somehow this going back to this concept of whiteness as this like omniscient being this omniscient thing in our society like like or the or and also the patriarchy as well like somebody is up there is always going to be like I don't like that and they get to go Ch-, and it's gone Ooh. you know somebody somebody's like oh I like this thing let's see more let's see more of light-skinned girls with afros and just niche all all darker skinned black women which is happening also in Hollywood where, where are they they're like oh black shows are happening and I'm, I turn on the tv and every single one of them looks like some variant of me and Freddie we're, we're which is great we're, there's there should be space for all of us but that's the point there should be space for all of us mm-hmm. and so we're always competing and so we have to we have to be grounded in who we are and what we're what we have to offer before we even go to anyone else because we're going to get a lot of rejection inherently and I don't want to compete with y'all
0: I just wanted to share something from uh there was a play called endlings that i uh played at a new york theater workshop and i used to work there as front of house so i've seen it multiple times because that was my job but endlings was written by celine song and there's a line in it that has always stayed by me like since the first time i watched it to now um i don't want to sell my skin for a piece of real estate and the whole meta thing is that in the play there's a playwright that's struggling with wanting to write her play because she's like, look, I understand that I'm getting all these yeses from white people and they're like willing to do whatever to make sure that my play is shown because it's so diverse and different, but I don't want to sell my skin for real estate. And then at the end, she says this line again and it's a realization where she goes, oh my God, I want to sell my skin for real estate. And that's the, the like, the situation I feel like we're always in, especially as art makers, especially in the theater world, maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot here, but (laughs) like, we're always in that position where like, are we willing to sell our identities for a piece of the pie? Or are we not gonna play that game, but then not get any of the pie? And I think for me, that's been really difficult in this last year or so trying to figure out who I am as an artist in this isolation moment. I still don't have an answer, but I think that that's one of my guiding principles of like, do I feel like I'm selling my skin? And wow. a lot of the times I don't think you are supposed to know. I think it's made for you not to know what, what you're trading off. And maybe that's a somber note to, to leave that part of the discussion on, but there's something real about that. So do you ever feel like you're told that you have to pick one of your identities over another in your intersection and like how do you deal with that kind of pushback the reason why I ask is for me personally I feel like sometimes I'm told that I'm divisive when I bring up my intersections like when talking about Black Lives Matter and I'm talking about like trans Black lives who are at higher risk of violence from outside and inside the community whenever I bring these things up I feel like people constantly are like, oh, that's divisive or let's focus on one issue. And I'm like, I don't exist in one space. I'm multifaceted. Mm -hmm. And as are many, many people beyond me, many, many people that like are no longer here for me to say the thing that I'm saying. So, and as dark as that is, it's true. We speak for the people who can't anymore. And (sighs) it's frustrating hearing like, oh, like, sorry.
1: (laughs) No, I'm with you.
0: It's just so frustrating because you expect to be silenced from certain people, but being silenced from, like, people you identify with is harder. Uh, It's really harder. Sorry, babes. With that being said, um, I know that that probably plays into your own life. So any feelings, thoughts, anything?
1: Yeah, I mean, 2020 summer um, was... I think now they're they're uh, reporting it as probably the largest global movement, either ever or in the last like 60, 70, 80 years, um, and that's really amazing, right? But um, I think uh, what we also saw, and again, calling it division is just wild, right? Because people like it's a it's a it's not like one it's not even just one tiny organization anymore. It's a massive organization. People are fighting for what they need, right? But in doing so, people do get silenced, and this is this is the point that is being made by saying "all Black lives matter." The fact that we even have to say that is because, is because we, by we, I'm just sort of a kind of a collective we, right? Yeah. I would say all all four of us are would be silenced um, by cis heterosexual heterosexual Black men um, who always say well, we, are, we were a collective front Black men first, but I'm like, if you go back in the history, Black Panthers, uh, Black women were treated like subservient, treated like they were like they were servants. Um, uh, Bayard Rustin, uh, really, really prominent uh, black, black Panther was gay and did not want to be closeted. And he f- experienced so much um, vitriol and abuse because of it and silencing as well. And so it's been happening for a really, really long time. And us being in 2020, 2021 and being like, Tony McDade died and y'all not talking about him. Y'all are are misgendering him, right? Uh, Breonna Taylor died months ago and there there was no peep until these prominent black female activists were fighting, fighting, fighting. Like that's what it takes is for us to literally put our bodies on the line to make our voices heard. And so I'm totally with you. I think like people are, it's like, it is, I would, not be me if i'm not for these intersections and the things that happened to tony mcdade the things that happened to um I'm thinking uh uh alua Toyin would not have happened if, if not for their inter- intersections Oof. because she was that's a very like that's that doesn't happen to s- cis straight men in our
0: why do we have the phrase say her name like it's because of that silencing it's because of that suppression it's because of that the, the fact that there needs to be this acknowledgement that at that intersection, there is less care, there is less awareness, there is less conversation. And thinking about the audacity of that really sets me into a different space because, like, thinking of who are the leaders and the founders of these movements? They're Black women. Some of these women are queer.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's insane to, like, then be like, oh, we have to put these problems on the back burner and, like, the people who aren't organizing and leading aren't literally doing the work for the whole you know this is our shared experience is like what ties us together is a diaspora but like in the queer spaces right a lot of times you bring up race and it's like oh don't like we're all whatever king here and it's like uh. friend we are not first of all not friend <laughs> acquaintance we are not here okay our oppressions existed separately they affected us separately when I look around at a lot of the queer people I know a lot of their partners are white um but we have to think about why that is it's like there are more layers of oppression there are more compounds of of discrimination playing at why certain people don't reach certain openness about identities than others it's like my existence as open and out and expressive as I try to be is an exception to a very oppressive rule
3: i i don't remember who says this like or the variation but it's like none of us are free until we're all free and Mm -hmm. i like strongly believe that and like kind of what i was saying in the beginning like we all have biases as a cis woman like i have a lot of biases i have made a lot of mistakes but the thing about it is i've learned to shut up. I've learned to shut my mouth. I've learned to learn. I've learned to just like be open and remember when I'm in spaces, who's not, who's being left out to constantly be like, okay, I might feel comfortable, but who's being left out? Whose voice isn't being heard? What are we doing to like, as an abled woman, what are we doing to make sure everything is accessible. And Mm. I think that like, it's hard, it's hard and stuff will always be like left out and it'll be difficult. But I think it's so important to create community and create solidarity and see the beauty and difference. And I think that's another problem with like the black diaspora. Like, why are we having diaspora wars? Like, it doesn't make sense. And it's it's, on Twitter, it's disgusting. And I'm just like, y'all at the end of the day the police officers over there don't care where you come from I, and that's just the end of the story why can't we see the beauty in each other mm. like why can't we get over this hump and get over these stereotypes and get over this conflict and just see the beauty in ourselves and be in solidarity and love each other we have to like demonstrate i was in a i was in a, i had an interview with um a social change practitioner for one of my classes and she was like In our organization, we try to, like, create, practice the relationships we want to see outside our organization, inside the organization. So Mm -hmm. we are healing ourselves. We are having this community so that when we go out into the world and try to change things, we can, we already seen it. We've already made it we have already like demonstrated what that looks like and we're trying to teach people outside how to do that and I think that's so important like solidarity and that is within the black community that's outside of the black community that's within people of color in general like with the Asian American violence like you see Mm -hmm. it coming up again and I'm like why are you pitting why are we pitting Asian people and black people against each other it makes Mm -hmm. no sense and it's just like It's so frustrating because people can't get outside of themselves. People can't look at things and say, this is where I'm coming from, but that other person is coming from a different place. And we need to acknowledge their experiences and not just see things through our own eyes. And I think that's why it's so important to listen to other people's stories, to Mm -hmm. read things that aren't necessarily about you. Yes, uplift yourself, but you also have to realize that like, I am one person I have a very, very unique experience and the next person right next to me, like um, like I think you said Maddie, like they could have the same identities but have a completely different different experience. And I think it's just, we need to stop, like we've been taught, society has taught us to put each other in boxes, society has taught us to treat people the exact same if they look the same, if they talk the same, if they do the same. and it doesn't make sense. And it's just so hard to get out of it, but we have to like retrain ourselves to, and like, I'm still trying to, but like retrain ourselves to come at everything with open eyes, with new eyes, with understanding and like giving people the benefit of the doubt.
0: Yeah, you're right. And absolutely everything you said, (laughs) I agree. Those rifts are intentional. There's a reason. There is this huge divide between people within your own race, between races, et cetera, et cetera. And then that same intentionality has to be brought back in how to heal. Like you were saying, there needs to be this moment where you're deciding to create the healing you seek. Like, we need to be able to identify and imagine our own liberation. Like, if not, it's not just going to fix itself. The problem is not going to go in reverse. With time, it is not going to get better. It started intentionally, to keep people down, it continues to be intentional or unintentional, depending on who you're arguing with, but it continues to be willful, I will say. And it's up—it's unfortunate that it's up to each person and each body of people to then be intentional and healing. And that's not to say we have to fix the things that other people broke. That's to say, if we want to be fixed, then we fix ourselves and each other there are people there are forces there are ideals that will that not only want are okay with the way things are or are unwilling to change are on this opposite side are willing to go harder to prevent your change or to undermine your change it's not even that we can just build our own like we we have to look over to make sure we're not getting it torched down every two seconds like it's exhausting. And somewhere there's hope, right? Like, that's the weird part. It's just exhausting somewhere. There's something. Everyone's trying to figure it out. People have been trying to figure it out for decades. Everyone has different opinions. The whole we are not a monolith is like yeah. inclusive in also the way that we feel about race, racism, systematic oppression, solutions, how to go about it. I always say, you know, I may disagree with the way certain people Deal with certain political issues, but I am always acknowledging that that person is playing the cards that they are dealt, even if I find the way that they play the cards are egregious. It's not me condoning a Stacey Dash or uh, the guy on TikTok, the one that's always like, "You dirty, dirty liberals," with those people, right? It's not that I'm like, "Oh, it's okay, let them be." They're being a harmful, however, comma. They're also Mm-hmm. playing the cards they're dealt to, to, to survive yeah. and to thrive. And that's a whole other thing, but some people do not care about liberation for all. Some people who are oppressed just care about getting out of their situation. And mm-hmm. I mean, we know that there's no getting out no matter how much you succeed. Very there's nice. an acknowledgement that we're all not trying to reach for this promised land liberation. Mm-hmm. And in that, there's also this knowing that that doesn't stop us that our identities and our intersections and our experiences had led us to believe, the, the four of us on the screen, that what we strive for is liberation for all. And that in itself, regardless of its opposition, has meaning, has worth in this fight.
1: I was going to ask, what gives y'all hope?
3: I have to say history gives me hope. Mm-hmm. Um. I, regardless of how many problems there are right now in this world, if you go back 100 years, 50 years, 10 years, it was harder. And, like, some people are like, oh, forget about history, we have to look at now, blah, blah, blah. It don't make sense to me, because if we don't look at history, first of all, history repeats itself. That's the first problem. So you want to forget about the history, it's just going to come right back. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, like, you... I get my drive from knowing that something can be changed. I might not live to see liberation for all, but I can live to see a little bit more liberation on the train. Like, I think it's so underrated. Yes, we have history months. Yes, we do this. Like, I'm sorry, every month is like history month in my book. But like I just think that knowing that someone before me was striving for this vision that I'm also striving for just has a lot more power and just ancestry and just knowing that there is room to change because it's changed already.
0: We all know the mantra, you know, I am my ancestors wildest dream, but truly, like if our ancestors could see us now, it would be so shocking. There's a liberation we also can't imagine. I think a lot of people way, way back would never imagine what things look like now. And we don't know what things are gonna look like in the future
1: what I was what I was thinking while while faith was talking was this idea of this sort of collective consciousness which doesn't it's not like we're all the same we all think the same whatever but it means that we have this we have a there are times where we will all be together there there is a unity already without us trying and if we are able to tap into that somewhere all all of the if we find common ground somewhere then we are infinitely powerful and i also was thinking when, when Maddie, when you were adding on about um, the ancestors that I'm like, we also have collective consciousness with our ancestors. And I, that is something that really gives me hope as well. I was thinking a lot about how um, in sub-Saharan Africa in a lot of the, uh, you know, indigenous tribal uh, religions and faiths, they they were more progressive than we have even given anyone credit for. Like, and that is, and we can get there again that's that's mm. what I was thinking of, is that we can get there again and that there are people who are, are exhibiting the kind of future that we are already that we are dreaming of already.
0: When you when you're saying that, it reminds me of like this this concept of pre colonialism and like mm-hmm. thinking about those aspects. Like one thing that always chokes me up, I know that I one, I don't even know my ancestry. Like I know both of my families are from Puerto Rico and I understand Puerto Rico's history, but I don't really understand where I come from. which um, colonialism. But so I don't know if any of my heritage is tied very directly to uh, indigenous folks, but like hearing about the concept, their concept of two-spirit, I will always cry. Actually, I'm getting emotional now, so I'm going to stop talking about it. But I will always cry like because it's so affirming knowing that something that came way before you existed affirmed Mm -hmm. you and it isn't and it undermines every argument that like intersectionality is new that like gender Mm -hmm. thinking about gender is new that that none of those things are new Mm -hmm. and so like we have existed we do exist and we continue to exist yeah I don't even think I have anything else to ask. I, the version of that segment was going to be like me turning to something positive and being like, let's talk about the wholeness of ourselves. But I think that we just did, <laughs> I do. I want to thank y'all and and for being honest and for taking this ride that had ups and downs and, and on, off the record moments and technical fails and emotions. Like, thank you to each and every one of you for for agreeing to be here because it's a leap of faith. uh, And I really, really appreciate it. And I love having this conversation. With that all being said, um, I will figure out a way to get information about Lunar Ensemble out to people because folks should see what we're up to even if we don't really know what that is right now. And uh, yes, and I'll also get information out to folks to how to find y'all. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for hanging in there in this conversation. I know it was heavy and light and all the things and it's multifaceted just like we are. Um, I'm so glad each and every one of you exist um, and are here and are in my life. Uh, Enjoy y'all day. (laughs) Thank you for listening. (laughs) Bye-bye. <laughs>